This episode is brought to you by our friends at Belay. Who out there feels like they have all the time they need to do everything they need to do? Yeah, not me. And I'm sure you're the same. Belay knows that for busy leaders, there's never enough time in the day. And that effort to show up 100% for every meeting, keep your inbox under control, and make progress towards your long-term goals can leave you exhausted and overwhelmed. Not to mention, you got to save time for family and rest and life outside of work. It's a lot. If this sounds a little familiar to you, our friends at Belay can help. Belay offers dedicated U.S.-based staffing solutions so you can delegate the details and focus on what matters most. Over the last decade, they've successfully matched thousands of leaders just like you with remote assistants, accounting services, and social media managers. So get ready to say goodbye to all that overwhelming stuff and make progress toward your goals. To help you get started, Belay is offering a free leadership toolkit for LeaderCast listeners. This digital download is packed with great content, tips, and tools to help you increase productivity and grow in your leadership. Just text LEADERCAST to 55123. Text LEADERCAST to 55123 to see how Belay can help you accomplish more and juggle less. My entire family was pronounced uh, DOA. I was the only one that was pulled from the wreckage. And I remember sitting on the side of I-75. I was two days after my seventh birthday and this new kids on the block t-shirt. Um, and finally police cars came and they set me in the back of that police car and they gave me spearmint gum and just said, sit tight. And I watched as eventually ambulances made it, fire trucks made it, the jaws of life. And then eventually the, the helicopters came um, to transport my family. But I didn't know if I would ever see again. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is give a review wherever you listen. Today's guest is AJ Vaden. She is the CEO of Brand Builders Group, a company that helps you find your personal brand and monetize it. She has an amazing sort of origin story from her childhood, and you're also going to learn how to think about sales in a way that isn't super salesy. AJ Vaden, welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. Super excited to have you today. It's going to be great. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, uh, I have gotten to know and become friends with Rory, your husband. So this is our first time officially meeting you and I. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for hanging out with me. Let, let me get to talk to you some today. Yes. Well, I'm excited about it. It's always fun when people know my husband so well before, because I was sharing with you before we hit record. It's like, I, I'm lucky enough to be married to someone who actually is my biggest fan. He's like my own little free PR service. So I don't know what I did to deserve such a good partner in life, but I got one. So I know that he's probably oversold me. So I'll, I'll try to meet whatever expectations he set. That's all right. I understand that I, um, my wife needs no PR. She's the friendliest, happiest, most outgoing person in the world. And she's a travel agent. She's in St. Martin right now. She used to travel over. Um, but people just love her. I always tell people if they meet me first, like, if you like me a little, you're going to love my wife. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but Lo, let's uh, tell us a little bit, like, let's, let's just start where you are today. Cause I do want to get back and kind of hear how you got here. And, uh, but tell us a little bit about brand builders and what you do and and what your sort of work is these days. Yeah. So uh, I get to have the title of CEO <laughs> and co-founder of Brand Builders Group. I always tease that 
you know, CEO, uh, in my my experience, stands for Chief Everything Officer because yeah. <laughs> somehow I end up doing everything. It doesn't matter if it's trash or paying bills, and sometimes I get to make decisions. I think, <laughs> um, but I'm really, really—it's uh, such an honor to to get to be a part of Leading Brand Builders Group. Uh, we are a personal brand strategy firm for what we call experts. And I say that with bunny quotes because yep. an expert is such a loose title. But for us, uh, we really feel called to serve what we what we say is the mission-driven messenger. So maybe it's an author, maybe it's a speaker, coach, consultant, uh, or maybe it's an entrepreneur or an executive. But ultimately, it's that person who feels like there's this message that is sitting on their heart that they feel like, man, I've just I am on this earth to tell this message, to share this story, and I really don't know how to do it. Yeah. Uh, help me, somebody. Uh, that's 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 why we exist. It's to help that unique individual uh, try to live out their dreams and also hopefully positively impact some people along the way. That's the the end goal and make some money while they're doing it. Then it hurt. Yeah. No, not at all. That's always good. Uh, <laughs> I would love to get into that before we finish here because you know I think uh, obviously. Um, most people kind of accidentally have a personal brand if they're a leader. Um, uh-huh. Sometimes it's quite unintentional. Uh, I feel like I have five at once often uh, <laughs> because it's it's so hard for so many of us to do our to do the thing that might give us just a little bit of interest or influence in the world. Mm-hmm. Is takes so much work <laughs> just to do the thing that then you suddenly realize, oh, people also have a perception of me as a person as well. So I know that you spend uh-huh. a lot of time helping folks kind of break down the mystery of that, I would assume, and and see what to do. That's right? yeah. our whole world. Yeah. Uh, that is like, when we talk about like, we help other people live out their calling, like we feel like this is our calling. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because personal branding is new terminology. This language of personal brand yeah. is somewhat new and trendy, uh, but the concept is as old as time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's your reputation. Mm. We all have a reputation. Uh, thus, we all have a personal brand. Yeah. And it's just how many of us are going, am I known for the thing I want to be known for? And most of us aren't because we don't even know what it is that we right. want to be known for. So by default, we become known for what we do. Mm. Uh, we become known for our profession or this thing that someone else associates us with without any real intention or focus of going, no, like when you think of me, this is what I want you to think about. And, you know, this, I had a real sobering moment for myself post Brand Builders Group, where we actually do this for a living about three years ago. And Brand Builders Group, we're, we still say we're baby, we're a baby company. We, yeah. we turned five <laughs> this year. Um, so we're big. We've been doing this for a long time, but as a formalized company, only five years. And about three years ago, we were, I don't know, some event. And my husband, who's my business partner, who has been my business partner for about 15 years, uh, introduces me as the best salesperson he's ever met. And I thought that was such a fascinating way to introduce me. And so I let him continue on. And I'm like, (laughs) at the end, he was talking about like, you know, our former life and our first company, we did, you know, lots of sales coaching and consulting. And my full-time role was working with a lot of Fortune 100 companies and really just helping people increase top line and bottom line and wasn't very soul fulfilling for me. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so fascinating Mm -hmm. that he associated me with this thing that I don't even do anymore. And so I let him do his whole spiel and we're walking out (laughs) and I'm like, so what a fascinating way to introduce me. And he said, what do you mean? 
said, well, what? You didn't even mention that we have this new company. Right. And he goes, <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it dawned on me. I hadn't done the work for myself yeah. that we so teach others. And so I think it's like even for me who's in this business, who leads a team of people who do this for other people, I really hadn't even done it for myself and my own husband, who knows me better than anyone else on this planet, is introducing me in the completely opposite way that I actually want to be seen that is impactful to me. And he was like, well, how would you want to introduce, like, how would you want me to do that? And I'm like, great question. Don't know. I should do our own exercises. And I think that we all fall into that. We don't spend near enough time thinking about those sorts of things. And so everyone comes up with their own assumptions by default. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That's such a great story. That's a physician heal yourself kind of story, right? Uh, (laughs) The other thing is Roy should have known better. Come on. Come on, get it, get it. You're a very nice, you're a very nice spouse and partner, but come on, Roy. Uh, that's another way to look at it. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go back. Uh, if you don't mind, can you, can we go back in time to you as a little girl? And I would just love to hear like, what, what were you interested in? What was captivating your heart? Uh, would you be shocked that you are a CEO now, uh, based on the kind of little girl you were, what, what was going on back then? Yeah, I have, um, I'd say I've had a very, I'm going to use the word interesting journey yeah. uh, that started when I was seven. So my family uh, was traveling from Dalton, Georgia, my hometown, to Chattanooga, Tennessee, because my older brother, who I adore, so don't hear this the wrong way, um, really suffered from uh, ADHD and behavioral problems and pretty much terrorized myself and my younger brother. Yeah. And so we were on our way to a family counseling meeting um, and we were on I-75, if any of you are familiar with that long stretch um, all through the Southeast. Um, and we hit all of a sudden this immediate traffic jam. And uh, it was very sudden. And in fact, it was so sudden that the tractor trailer driving 70 miles an hour behind us didn't see it and hit us head on. And uh, that changed the trajectory of my life. And for a lot of other people that day, it was a 13 car pileup. I don't remember exactly how many people died that day, but my entire family was pronounced uh, DOA. I was the only one that was pulled from the wreckage. And I remember sitting on the side of I-75. I was two days after my seventh birthday and this new kids on the block t-shirt. And finally police cars came and they set me in the back of that police car and they gave me spearmint gum and just said, sit tight. Um, And I watched as eventually ambulances made it, fire trucks made it, the jaws of life. And then eventually the the helicopters came um, to transport my family. But I didn't know if I would ever see again. Yeah. And so by the time that I made it to the ER and, you know, I was ush- ushered in by a bunch of strange policemen, 
Um, I remember they stripped me down naked in the middle of the ER because I was so covered in blood. They were trying to figure out where to patch up the wounds, except for I had none. Mm-hmm. I did not have one scratch and one bruise on me. My younger brother was in a coma for three months. Um, eventually, uh, although they gave him less than 10% chance of surviving, and we had many a meetings with our pastor about, is today the day that we should you know, pull the plug? Uh, not so metaphorically speaking. And my parents just refused. And they said, we know, we know that a miracle is coming. We believe it. Uh, My mom broke her neck, her collarbone, an arm, a leg. Uh, My dad had really beat up, but eventually recovered. My uh, older brother, his entire facial cavity collapsed. They were going to put steel plates in. And then they told my parents they couldn't do it because the bones had started healing themselves with no medical explanation. Uh, the, The vegetable that they told us my younger brother would be, he woke up asking for Rice Krispies. <laughs> now, he had to learn how to walk again, talk again. Basically, as a five-year-old, he he was truly like learning over, learning life again. Um, and so I spent the majority of my childhood for the next five years touring around the country as my younger brother was labeled as the Children's Miracle Network's Telethon Miracle Child of the Year. And so we got to go to Disneyland with Marie Osmond and Debbie Gibson, if you guys want to take it back (laughs) to 1989. Um, And we did all these things. And uh, I spent the majority of my childhood hearing about how my brothers were miracles, about how God saved them. And these miraculous things happened to these two um, brothers of mine. And, you know, there was a trucking company, there was a huge lawsuit and a huge settlement. And my brothers got lots of money from the settlement. And so I grew up watching my 16 year old younger brother buy a Mercedes um, with the money that he had gotten from the settlement. And I just remember thinking like, they're the miracles. And I'm this kid sister, right? And I, that's how I spent my whole child childhood sure. of going, I'm not important. I'm not a value. Like I wasn't the one who had this miraculous recovery until I went to college and I was sitting at a sorority parent event and my little sis in the sorority, her name was Katie Cyphers said, I really want you to tell your story to my mom. She's a psychologist. (laughs) I I don't know if this is like free therapy or what. So I I gave a very short version, even probably shorter than that. And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, Oh my gosh, you're a miracle. And at that point, I was 21 years of age. And for the first time ever, did I actually look back and go, oh, wait, I'm a miracle. Like my life was saved that day. Like I was spared in such an extraordinary way. Because the truth is, would I want any of the trials and tribulations that my brothers or parents had to go through? Absolutely freaking not. Yeah, yeah. And I, it was such a perspective shift for me that, and I think that just happens to all of us in life. And I just remember like that moment was a pivotal moment in my life of going, no, I, I was like, I have purpose. Like that mm-hmm. happened for a reason. And that was like one of those like defining moments in my life over like a chicken dinner yeah. where somebody <laughs> just shed a little bit of that perspective. And it was like, that was a that was a life changing moment for me, um, which is interesting. It wasn't the accident per se, although that did shape much of who I am today. But it was really that moment of going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! How did I miss this? How did I miss this miraculous part of this story mm-hmm. where I somehow thought I wasn't a part of it?" And so, much of my childhood was spent a little bit in the shadows of thinking like I'm not as good or as important or as valued as my brothers. And it wasn't until I was in college that I realized like, 
oh crap, I'm, I missed a big part of this story. Yeah. And you know, and that, that was a really life defining moment, um, for me and, and also getting just exposed to the, I think the, the blessing of all of that is I started believing in miracles at a really, really young age, Mm. um, and saw the, the handiwork of God at a very, very young age of going like, I see the power of prayer. I have parents who like prayed on their knees for months straight. Um, I saw miracles happen right in front of my eyes that were completely medically unexplainable. So I had the gift of seeing that at a really young age that really transformed how I saw what was possible in life. Yeah. And then when I was 15, uh, my mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And so we all had this expectant view of like, he did it before, he'll do it again. And he didn't. And she died uh, 18 months later, um, right before I turned 16. So she was diagnosed when I was 13, um, but died when I was 15. And it was a say another one of those defining life moments yeah. of, whoa, I thought this was just that thing that you, you get diagnosed with. And then we all celebrate when it's over a year and a half later. Yeah. And that's not what happened. And so the day that my mom passed away, I really became an adult. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up overnight and became pretty independent pretty quickly as, you know, I had a younger brother who was somewhat dependent on lots of support in his life from our childhood accident and a, a parent who didn't know how to function without a spouse, Yeah, which as a spouse and a parent today, I completely relate to. Sure. Um, and so I grew up real fast and uh, I have a really cool entrepreneurial family. The business, family business has been around now 75 years, um, but made a really important decision uh, soon after my mom's death that this isn't for me. Hmm. I, I know that I'm not meant to work in this family business and I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. And so I graduated uh, high school from Dalton, Georgia and probably been back less than you can count my fingers and toes. Mm-hmm. Not that that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that shaped the trajectory of uh, I want my own entrepreneurial journey. And so. Wow. I didn't know any of that. That's an insane story. Where my head goes is uh, I think I learned this from uh, Richard Rohr, but that um, it's, Generally, pain and failure are the two things mm-hmm. that shape us the most. And uh, the flip side of that is the folks that we spend almost all of our lives trying to avoid pain and failure, obviously. But And the folks that do manage to avoid it tend to feel like they have some growing up to do when you mm-hmm. run across them, you know. Um, and we talk a lot in this podcast as we tell people stories. We, we stumble upon the failure parts usually, uh, but yours sort of starts with – you know, a lot of pain that that's mm-hmm. a lot to go through. Um, and it, obviously you, you would have turned, you would have become a very different person had, had those things not been part of your story. Right. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that's interesting now is now clearly there's lots of days and moments where like, all I want to do, all I want to do is pick up the phone and be like, Please tell me I am not the only parent in the world who has these crazy kids, right? <laughs> um, like, I would love to like have that conversation with my mom of like, just remind me that like, like I was a problem child too. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to get better, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like I really do believe it's like, although they're not fun parts of life, it's like I'm so grateful for the way that God has orchestrated the events in my life, however traumatic which they were, they were. It's like. 
I would, I know I wouldn't be the person I am today. I would not have the perseverance, the, the strength, the courage, the courage, the uh, persistence. I would not be who I am today. If those things had not happened, it yeah. forced me to become a different version of my potential. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have preferred to do it a different way, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. However, I don't take back any of those things. I'm I'm super grateful. I can look back now, hindsight 2020 is such a gift, isn't it? Um, and go, if if my mom had been alive, I would have like, I know where I would have gone to college. I know the choices I would have made, and they would not have been the ones that led me to where I am. I know that. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's good and it's healthy. And I think a lot of that is what pushed me to go. Pretty confident at some point, I realized this. I'm virtually unemployable. I, I learned that young of going, I'm not ever going to be a great employee. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time with that. And I think a lot of it is because I became super independent yeah. really young at 15. It was like, make your own lunches, figure this out, like handle yourself. I got to take care of myself. Like, right. And I was, and then I realized it's like, Oh yeah, it's like I don't want people to tell me when I have to come to work or how long my vacations get to be. <laughs> and a lot of that stirred in that. And I remember when I graduated from college, my very first job, I only lasted six weeks. <laughs> and I remember I got called into the office because I was wearing uh, pants that showed my ankles. Oh, scandalous! Oh, <laughs> very scandalous. <laughs> and uh, I remember I got called in, and I was so mortified that that I was like, oh, I can't work here. Like I have to quit. And my next best option was to get a job at a boutique. And my child, one of my childhood best friends, but also my college best friend was this guy named Dustin. We pretty much grew up together in Dalton, Georgia, went to the University of Tennessee, the real UT and, you know, SEC for life. And uh, he called me up and he was like, you know, you're working at this boutique. Uh, I'm going to start this company. I think you should start it with me. And, you know, at age 22, I had so much experience that I thought I was real qualified to do that working (laughs) at a retail boutique. And he said, no, no, no. Like, this is going to be perfect. You're not doing anything. You're just job hunting. Like, stop looking for a job. Like, help me start this company. And I was like, I know you. What company are you starting? This is nonsense. And his sales pitch was basically, um, we're going to move to California. We can eat sushi every day and make sales calls by the pool. And I was like, well, that sounds <laughs> sure. than working in this boutique. So, yeah. okay. I don't even think I asked what the job was, to be honest. And I was a little bit of going, well, it cannot be worse than what I'm doing. Cannot be. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we'll see how it goes. And my venture into entrepreneurship was really naive. And it was just being willing to say yes. Yeah. That was it. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. We started our first company in 2006 uh, in the heart of a recession. I didn't even know what a recession was. That was very much for my benefit. And uh, we started that first company, which is also how I met my now husband. And uh, we did. That company was awesome uh, until it wasn't. Um, And it was a ton of learning experience. And when I got to California, I realized what I would be doing was calling companies out of the yellow pages, because that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And they were so kind to give me the letters W, X, Y, and Z, because <laughs> I didn't know any better. Sure. And so I was calling on all these local sales team in San Jose, California, convincing me, them uh, with all my experience to have me in to talk to their sales team. And I would come in for free, do a free sales training. And at the end, I'd do this completely for free. I'd customize it for you. You'd let me talk about this event that our company was putting on in just a few weeks. And if you let me talk about that, I'll do all this work for free for you. And I had never sold anything in my life. 
And now I am selling people on having me to come in to train their salespeople so that I can then sell them. And I get there and I'm just panicked. I'm like sweating, can't breathe. Like what? This is what I'm doing. I, I, I what? Uh, but I remember going like, what am I going to go back to? Like, what's my, I, di- I didn't have a backup plan, which was really good in my yeah, case. It was, yeah. it was a Cortez moment to burn the boats. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. no option B. There was no plan B. Figure it out. And I remembered what I, I remember learning like, oh, this is what it means to work. And what I learned in our first company is the power of hard work. Yeah. And that didn't, that didn't have to be easy to be great. And what, you know, similar to what you said, I, I'm reading this book right now called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best books I've ever read. And he said that we very rarely look back in life and remember the things that came easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we will always remember the things that we had to fight for, that we had to overcome, uh, whether it be events or battles or whatever it was. It's like we remember the things that were a challenge. Because that's how we know that we've grown and we've accomplished. But we, we very rarely remember the things that were easy. And starting that first company was anything but easy. Yeah. I think I made $24,000 my first year. Yeah. I think I still have to have my dad help my, my car payment. And he's like, are you sure you don't want to come and work in the family yeah, business? Yeah. Are you sure? And then I remember my second year, I made 40000 And it was still, are you, are you sure? And then that third year, I think I made like fifty-five, And then it was 80 And then it dropped back down to 60 <laughs> when we started a new division of the company. And then it was like 100 But then I remember from 100000 I went from 100000 to 300000 in 12 months. And then I heard uh, this gentleman uh, who wrote a book called The Million Dollar Consultant. And I remember being very naive and very cocky as like a 27-year-old of going, this guy can do a million dollars. Surely I could figure it out. And it was that naive confidence that was like, sure, I can do that. So I set this like huge goal and I was like 28, I'm going to sell a million dollars in consulting next year. And the most I'd ever sold was, you know, made was 300,000. And lo and behold, I I sold a million dollars and (laughs) $1,000 that that very next year. And then I just, the lesson I learned in all of that is like, it takes time, but hard work pays off. Yeah, And I remember somebody told me, it's like, you always get paid for how hard you work. Not always now, but mm. eventually yeah. you always get paid for how hard you work. And it was the most awesome lesson in entrepreneurship um, and in sales and in marketing and the power of just don't give up. And yeah. eventually, eventually at some point, this will pay off. Yeah, And eventually it did. I, um, yeah, some, I, I'm not the world's most best interviewer because I tend to have like 10 follow-up questions and I just have to pick one. Uh, that, um, but where I, I think where I want to take what interests me is the, I haven't read a lot generally about the, uh, connection between leadership and sales, you mm-hmm. know, in, in a way that isn't, uh, kind of like, doesn't feel to me as like just a way to get more sales. You know, mm. but a lot of, so I think the questions I want to ask you is because as you were on that journey, um, and I can see why knowing Rory, your husband, some, I can see why you all connected. He, he has that in him too, right? That sort of drive and desire to be successful. And, um, I'm curious how you journeyed as a leader, as you also were clearly working hard and becoming a good salesperson, um, and could you just talk a little bit about leadership in the, in the 
in actual context of sales? And is it different than leadership anywhere else? Like, well, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so interesting. Somebody asked me on, a, on an interview a couple of weeks ago, they said, what do you think is the number one thing that every entrepreneur, i.e. leader, needs in their you know repertoire? And I literally said, you must be a great salesperson. Hmm. Like that's the number one key to great leadership, great entrepreneurship is remember that sales first. Um, and so I would say like my journey to leadership was, um, your team will do half of what you do right. And twice of what you do wrong to so do as much right as you can. Wow. Do as much good. right as you can. And it's like at that time, our, our say that again. Would you say it again? So let it yeah. sink in. Yeah. Leadership uh, is all about your team, understanding that your team will do half of what you do right and twice of what you do wrong. So make sure you do a lot right. <laughs> yeah. Um, lead by example. And that was my path to leadership. It was uh, 100%. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I haven't done and I'm not willing to do. And in my case, a commitment to doing it really well. And so my approach to leadership was, I'm going to teach you because I've done it. I'm not going to teach you because I learned about it. I'm going to teach you because I've been there. I know the emotions. I know the feelings. I know the tactics. And I know I can help you. Yeah. I know if I can do it, there's something within you that can make you do it too. And so for me, rather right, wrong, and different, this is what my path is. It was 100% of I'm going to do it first. Like my job as a leader is to do it first. Yeah. It's to prove the path to show that there's a way, even if it's not your way, you can create your own path. But to, I think I, I liken it to, I don't know if you guys, if you've seen the the new Top Gun movie. Maverick. I have indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, to me, it's like, I saw that at the end and I looked at Rory and I was like, right. It's like, that's like our whole leadership belief is like his team could not believe it was done until he did it. Yeah. And then they did it. Yeah. That to yeah. me is that is the, the vision of a leader. And I think and the art of sales in that is going, it's like sales is the path to great leadership because it's sales is just another word for influence. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, they're synonymous, just like reputation is synonymous with personal branding. Sales and influence are synonymous. And, you know, our whole thing around sales is people get it wrong. Uh, sales is not uh, convincing people to do something they don't want to do. Uh, it sales is truly it's providing enough value and giving people options. The end it's asking good questions so that people can make a decision. Yes or no. Uh, if I get a no, I made a sale. I got you to make a decision. Hmm. I don't have to get yeses all the time to make sales. Uh, there's always a sale being made. It's, it's sometimes we just don't like the answer. Yeah. The answer is no. And that was, I did not do a good enough job in that particular situation um, and also knowing it's all about timing, you yeah. know, Roy teases that there's a law of AJ in our company. The law of AJ is that I never hear no, I only hear not right now. Yeah, right. I it's think that's, right um, yeah, it is. There's a, for many people, sales, if you haven't done sales, maybe even if you have, can have a negative connotation of the sort of right slimy, sleazy used car salesman kind mm -hmm. of vibe. Um, and I, I feel like I've, I've noticed, and maybe this happened a little in my life too, that uh, people become leaders, natural leaders, and not all leaders come through the sales department, right? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you realize, oh, now I'm leading a sales team or uh, a sales effort. And I may have had actually, I didn't realize it, but I think I've had like negative feelings about sales 
uh, I, I, a lot of people are that way and they just haven't had to deal with, they've been dependent on that part of the organization for sure, yeah. but they haven't been involved in it. Um, so I like the way you sort of frame it. Do you, does that resonate with you? Do you have, have you, do you see that happening? 100%. Like, yeah. hundred. It, it even happens in our organization, even yeah. though it's like we're a sales first organization. Yeah. It's like, um, but at my sole belief is just like how customer service is integrated into every single department of a company. So is sales. Yeah. Uh, recruiting and interviewing, let's not be confused. That's a sales job. Mm, you yeah. want someone to come and work for you um, at the, the rate that you want them to do. And like, that's a sale. Yeah. Getting people motivated to do the job that you asked for, that's a sale. Getting people to hit deadlines, stay on time, stay on budget, that's a sale. Because that is not easy for people to do. Holding people accountable, that's a sale. Customer service, turning people around, it's one of the most underpaid, hardest jobs on the planet. It's like... I do not know why customer service departments get paid less than what they yeah. do. Like that's me. It's like teachers. It's like, you're talking to all the grumpy people and then, <laughs> yeah. right. It's like, it's one of the hardest jobs there is. That's a sales job. And these departments, these leaders don't get sales training. And it's like, again, sales yeah. is influence. It's the art of communication is the art of knowing what questions to ask and what order that makes someone go, Oh, I don't have to be angry at you. Yeah. yeah right. no, you I, like those are all sales. Yeah. And so to me, it's like the root of any successful leader or department is rooted in the ability to have effective communication, AKA sales. Yeah. Well, this is great. I, time's flying by. I want to, I want to honor our time commitment. I do want to talk just a little bit about uh, uh, your brand building business and, and that. Um, and b- before we leave here, you can, uh, invite folks to like, you know, learn more about it, of course, and, and to find you. Um, but briefly, quickly, if you wouldn't mind, what do you, could you give me like the top three things, uh, that you think, uh, folks need to learn or aren't aware of when they think about, uh, branding or, you know, branding themselves, selling themselves basically. Right. Can yeah, I ask you to do I'll, that? Yeah. Yes. I'll, I'll tell this in a little bit of a story of how brand builders group got started, yeah. um, and tie it all together. So, uh, I mentioned how we had this company before. And in 2018, I walked into a routine budget meeting on May 4th, actually. And uh, I, I left unemployed. I left unemployed. I got, as my husband so uh, kindly refers to as I got canned. I got canned uh, very unexpectedly, very dramatically. And I had, you know, got asked my opinion a couple of weeks before. And as you don't know me very well, but those who do, I, I don't. I don't know how to uh, cushion it appropriately sometimes. So right. I shared my opinions and then I got fired. Um, but that's okay. Um, it was a, a much needed uh, thing that needed to happen. I needed some humbling and uh, all things work out for the good of those who love the Lord. And I believe this was for my good. Um, the long story short, I got fired on May 4th. And on May 6th, um, a guy named Lewis House, who has a super successful podcast called The School of Greatness, um, called us up. And we had met him years before, uh, just helping him with his book launch, which is something that we do at Brand Builders Group is we help authors launch their books. And uh, he wasn't a client. We didn't do this as a business. We were just helping him as a friend. And he said, I don't know why, but for the last few months, I keep getting this nudge that I need to reach out to Rory, my husband, and you. Um, I feel stuck in my business. I don't know. Could y'all help? Yeah. And we said, well, ironically, we have a lot of time on our hands. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, soon after I got fired, my husband resigned from our company. So you could probably put two and two <laughs> together there. But he flew out to Nashville, Tennessee. And at the end of those two days, he said, y'all, 
uh, this is your new business. Uh, this is this this is why all this happened. Here here's this thing. I've got a mastermind in two weeks. If you guys can like put together a little plan, I'd love to have you fly out and present your new business to our mastermind. And I said, we don't have a new business. <laughs> this is not our business. Like we know we, we don't like this does not exist. Uh, long story short, we spent two weeks hiking, praying, and planning, and coming up with some frameworks to teach other people what we taught Lewis, which is ultimately what we've been doing for ourselves for a really long time. Yeah. So we came up with this little mini business plan. Rory flew out to LA, presented to that mastermind, collected credit cards on a very secure piece of paper, brought them home to me <laughs> so I could figure out how to process them. And that was the genesis of Brand Builders Group. That's how we got our first two clients in the middle of a crisis. And six weeks later, Lewis said, listen, I know that if you can help me the way that you did without a plan, I know that you can help other people. I would really love to help you launch this business. And at that point, we had kind of said, maybe this could be a business. Yeah, maybe this is yeah. a thing. And he said, I'd love to launch your business on my podcast in July of 2018. No, we left our first company in May. Yeah. I got fired before <laughs> we left. And so it's not like there was a lot of time here, right? And this will get to a point of promise. And on July 27th, this podcast went live uh, with a landing page that was unstylized, that was white, yep. that had my <laughs> picture and Rory's picture next to each other with an orange button that said, request a call here. And we had no website, we had no email list, uh, we had no social media, we had to forfeit that over. Uh, we didn't even know if we'd get to keep the IP of our first two books. Uh, we had no email list, no uh, social media, no website, no podcast, nothing that you would think someone would need who is starting a personal branding firm. Yeah. Not a nilch. And uh, we launched that uh, business with that one page on Lewis's podcast. And over the next 90 days, it generated one thousand leads wow. <laughs> and a half million dollars of business um, with a whole bunch of people who just said, I know that if we just teach what we know, we can help. Hmm. And I share that because what we learned and what everyone needs to know is that a personal brand, personal brand is not a business model. It has nothing to do with social media or how many followers or likes you have, or if you have a podcast, right. uh, those are all, uh, you know, lead generation vehicles. Those are all awareness vehicles. You do not need to have a website to have a personal brand. Uh, a personal brand is who you are. It's who you are. It's your reputation. And although we had at that time, zero reputation online, we had built years, years of credibility offline with yeah. investing into personal relationships. Uh, and trust that we had done because we just gave. Yeah. We just said, ah, we don't charge for this. Like, sure, happy to help. And I think that's the the genesis of your personal brand is like the reason everyone needs one or should need one is a personal brand is a declaration of who you are and what you believe. And it's a trust accelerator. Hmm. And that's something that, again, isn't new, but it's ever increasingly important. It's like trust is currency. And in this ever-increasing digital world that we live in, people want to know that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you're going to do. And a personal brand helps you cement that because yeah. you put time, yeah. intention, and effort into something of going, this is what I want to be known for. And it can happen offline with no digital assets like it happened with us. Yeah. But because we had trust with Lewis and Lewis had trust with his audience, that's why this company exists. Yes, yeah. why we're here today. I mean, I, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but the, his great personal brand helped you land, launch your personal brand business, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, right. A hundred percent. 
Well, I, so let folks know, I'm sure people are like, where, do, how do I find that, that current version of that red button? So, uh, if, uh, <laughs> where can folks go if they're interested in, uh, learning more about you or even like requesting some information from you or whatever? Yeah. So if you go to freebrandcall.com, freebrandcall.com, um, you can actually request a free call with our team. Okay. Um, that's how we get to know you. It's how you get to know us. Uh, this is ironically not a sales call. Yeah. Uh, this is a sampling of what we do. Yeah. Um, but if our team is really good, you'll want you'll want it. Right. Um, but ultimately, our belief is we're not a fit for everyone, and everyone's not a fit for us. Uh, but we believe we have something to give everyone on that phone call. So freebrandcall.com is where you can actually request information about us, talk to our team, and get a free sampling of what we do. Uh, if you want to just go, what else you got? Like yeah. we have tons of resources. Tons of free resources. We can make you busy for a long time at brandbuildersgroup.com. Um, we actually have a section on the top of our website that's just called free resources. We have master classes, we have webinars, we have uh, uh, research studies, white papers, whatever your heart desires. Yeah, it's all that uh, we have for you. AJ, uh, thank you so much for being here. And I'm sure uh, you'll hear from some of our folks. I uh, really appreciate your, your spirit. Thanks for sharing your story, even the hard parts. I really appreciate that. Um, and tell, tell Rory I said hi. Yes, thanks for having me on. <laughs> okay, we'll see you later.